welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Isn't it amazing what we're part of? Amen. And you think, well, I suppose it goes right back to the Garden of Eden, but at that moment I was just thinking back to Jesus in the last 2,000 years. And the accounts of Jesus calling people to come and follow him. And to everyone here, God's either called you or he is calling you. (laughs) And you've either answered or you haven't yet answered. You know, but he's calling you. But what an amazing thing to happen to a person to be able to say yes to the creator. To say yes to God. You know, and join this incredible bunch of humanity that said yes as well. Amen. You think of the, the people we're standing with. I mean, we're going to look just a little bit of when Jesus called Peter today. But isn't it amazing that we stand with Peter and Paul and, uh, and all the di- other disciples? We, we, we're in the group with them, but not just them. Other people like Martin Luther, he's in that group. You know, or any other famous Christian that you've ever heard of. St. Augustine, he's there in the line. St. Columba, pick your favourite. They're there in the line. With us. I don't know if it's a line, I think it's just a big bunch of us. All chatting. St. Hilda, the great leader of the church that was based in Whitby. She's there. We get to meet her. And she say, oh, yeah, I remember around there. I planted, a wi- planted an abbey down at Hackness. Is it still there? Well, I don't know if you have that kind of conversation. but She probably spoke a bit posher as well because she was a princess. But St. <laughs> Chad. No, not the one that plays the keyboard from Kingdom Faith. Oh, he'll be there too. <laughs> and St. Brian and St. Kate and St. Claire and St. Peter and St. Sally. I better say St. Joanne or she might feel I've stopped there deliberately. <laughs> and I didn't mean anything about the UN neither. It's just fabulous. You know, Carl Barth a famous theologian of the last century. I've had to read a lot of his stuff doing this MA one week to go. <laughs> Help. But <laughs> if I'm not here next Sunday, you know I'm right. <laughs> but Karl Barth, and he was an amazing man because he really overturned the unbelief of the 19th century theologians and brought back Jesus and believing in him. Uh, that's what he did. And, and a lot of then what happened in the 20th century, I'd say even down to like the charismatic movement, a lot of it can be traced to him. He was Swiss. But uh, he wrote these books. I mean, he wrote lots of stuff, but he's most famous for a series called Church Dogmatics. Doesn't sound like a page turner, does it? With a title like that. <laughs> and it comes, you can buy it. I, I had a quick look on Amazon to see what it was. One price amused me because it was £666. <laughs> 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 oh, you deliberately picked that. 
for the set. Because at the, in that form, it's, it's 12 volumes, and it's about this long, I'd say, wouldn't you, Adrian? If you got it, you're, that's the sort of thing you'd have. You've got it on the computer. It doesn't take up that much space on the computer. You have to buy an extra external hard drive to have it on the computer. But it's just these huge 12 volumes. And he didn't finish. He died before he finished. It's actually four volumes and 12 published books. And he was on his fifth volume. But, and he wrote lots of other stuff. He's said to have wrote over 6 million words and had published 6 million words. So pretty extensive. But... Towards the end of his life, he is the person that was famously asked, can you sum up the teaching of church dogmatics? <laughs> and he said, yes, I can. I can't remember it now. Jesus me loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> his entire life's work... This incredibly profound, intelligent theologian. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And then he expanded it a little <laughs> in his life's work. But isn't that, 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 is, that, isn't that the core of everything? You know, I, there's, there's such challenge out there. And, and you guys, you're so wonderful because I'm so bad at just encouraging people. Even when I talk about the loving story of the parable of the father, I'm throwing in the elder son, you know. One of the ministers from the other local churches was here, and he was saying afterwards, I've never heard that about the elder son before, and it really challenged me, that idea that he can be the church now, and how we, how we treat people that are coming in now. It was new to him, and it was a real challenge. So that's exciting, isn't it? And you know, it was really weird because I was going to stop. I'd looked at the clock and thought, no, for once I won't speak for a long time. And the Holy Spirit said, I told you to do the older son. He probably said miss out a few other things that I didn't, but... Because <laughs> I can't really blame God for talking too long, can I? That's, that's dodgy, that one. <laughs> But he said, talk about the elder son. So maybe it was just for him, because that's what God's like. He'll put the rest of you on hold, if necessary, to speak to one person this morning. That's what he's like. That's the whole story of the sitting down next to the well. And, and the one we're looking at today is a bit like that. It's the same thing, really. You know, Jesus sat on that well to talk to that woman. We, we were in Wydale recently, and that was inevitably, you know me, I mentioned the woman at the well and talked about her because I was talking about God's love and acceptance. And uh, one, one woman was a little bit annoyed with me, and um, it, was one of those, it was one of those sessions where people call out and argue with you while you're preaching. Interesting format. But <laughs> Excuse me a minute. <laughs> For those listening on the podcast, I was placing my hand over the mouths of Kate and Claire. Um, but she called out, uh, she's, she's quite horrified by this story of Jesus at the world because she thought it, for her, it demeaned women. And um, she said that. 
If Jesus had asked her for water, she'd have said to him, get it yourself. And that that's what he needed to hear. <laughs> and that it changed him, this, this encounter he had with the, with the lady. It's amazing how two people can look at a story. But for me, it felt like she didn't really grasp that it was Jesus making himself vulnerable, not judging her. And actually, it was a silly thing to say in a sense, only mechanically. I'm not judging her on her theology, although I don't agree with it. Um, Because she says a couple of verses later, well, how are you going to give me this living water? You don't even have a bucket. So when he said to her, can you get me some water or get me some water? Um, She couldn't say get it yourself because he didn't have a bucket. That's why he's asking her. But he's using what she had. And I'm not going down that story again. But just to say at this point, when Jesus asked her for some water, it wasn't like a godly nice thing just to show love. He genuinely wanted some water. He could not do what he wanted to happen without her. And sometimes we think God just gets on with everything. But there's a lot of things that God cannot or will not do unless we say yes. Sometimes he hasn't got the bucket. Or, as we see in this account of Peter, he does exactly the same thing. It's not a bucket this time, it's a boat. Let's have a quick look. If, if you want to read it, it's in Luke 5. Right from the start. One day, Luke was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the same as the Sea of Galilee. It's just another name for it. Gennesaret was a, uh, an area of land just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. So sometimes it was called the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. This is always Luke's focus. If you read the Gospel of Luke, he's, he's always wanting people to focus on the word, the word, listening to the word. The word is going to bring life. The word is going to bring freedom. So he brings out this little detail. And he paints a picture of the scene, which is, which is great. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And they were washing their nets. So we know, probably a lot of you know this story, but for those of you that don't, if, you, if they were washing their nets, it meant they'd finished. Just as if you see people washing their nets today. Uh, Particularly if you go to somewhere like where where we're going on holiday soon, it's a a Greek island and they have lots of little fishing boats, probably similar size to the boat that they would have been using to be honest. And you see them there washing the nets out when they've finished and mending the nets. They've been out, they've come back. They're finished. And they they usually look a bit tired because they've been out for a while and now they're back cleaning, looking forward to a rest. And it says that he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. I wonder if the lady would say to me, I want to tell him to get out. It's my boat. Because it would be the same as saying to him, get your own drink. I don't know about you, but I want to invite Jesus into my life. He can get in my boat, and he can use my bucket any time. <laughs> well, at least that's what I think. And then he calls me to do something, and I think, well, yeah, I'll do that, but not that one. I like this bucket. <laughs> this is my favourite boat. 
and I'm finished. I'm finished for the day. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put a little out from the shore. Simon would not have wanted to put a little out from the shore. If you're wondering who Simon is, this is Peter. Remember later on, Jesus says, you're going to be called Peter from now on, which means rock. Because uh, he's the big rock, but upon the little rock of Peter and being uh, the disciple that he was, the apostle was, God would build his church, etc., etc. And upon his teaching, it would all be founded. But we're not talking about that. But that's who Simon is. Asked him to put a little out from the shore. He would not have wanted to put a little out from the shore. He'd finished. He was tired. The sun was out. He'd have been sweaty. He's off the clock. And it says, Peter obviously does it because he says, then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is a boat. I don't know how good you are with boats, but you will know that boats are not like chairs. They don't stay in one place while you're sitting on them. Your chair probably won't move while you're sitting there. If it does move, worry. <laughs> if it gets up and carries you out with it, it's definitely a word from God. But boats move, because the water moves. And so all the time that Jesus is speaking, Peter would have been busy. I wonder, particularly if it was a Middle Eastern culture, that it, this, Peter was probably okay with this bit because he owed him one. He owed Jesus one, because if you read the chapter before, it's when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So he kind of owed the guy or something, because he's definitely not a follower of Jesus at this point. So it's kind of, you know, he sat in my boat. <laughs> okay, okay, you want me to row you out? Okay, you can sit there. guess I get to listen to... I was thinking of going home and watching Homes Under the Hammer, but now I'll have to be here. <laughs> Daytime TV, that's the only thing I could think of. He got into the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asked him to put a little out from the shore where he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So it's a bit like the story of the woman in the world in that he sits next to Peter, and a bit like the woman in the world, this is not convenient. I mean, actually, the woman, when he asked, can I have some water, had probably got to let this thing bucket back down the well. It was usually a leather type of thing. And, and then pull it all the way back up again and, and do some water for him. So it wasn't convenient. It also wasn't that convenient for her to be seen talking to an, another man, which is kind of what she says. How can you, a Jewish man, talk to me, a Samaritan woman? seems that God seems to transcend gender when he's calling people. Your call is not dependent on your gender. And take that wherever you want to. Your call is not dependent on your gender. He got into one of the boats. I've said this so many times now, you're going to shoot me. <laughs> and he sat there. And Peter listened, feeling a little bit inconvenienced, or a lot inconvenienced, actually. When he'd finished speaking, and that's Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Isn't this the problem with pastors and ministers? They think they're experts on everything. This is a carpenter from upstate Nazareth. Nazareth is landlocked. How does this carpenter's son 
know anything about fishing. In fact, by the, what he's just said, he quite obviously doesn't know anything about fishing. You could fish during the day, uh, and they did do, and it's described in Matthew, uh, in one of Jesus' stories, actually, and they'd use a dragnet along the bottom, and you get a different kind of fish. That was the, the type of fishing then. But this is a different thing, because he's saying cast the nets. This is the kind of fishing that they did at night. It was usually far more profitable. Remember, this is Peter's business. This is his income. This is the way he lives his life and feeds his family. Put into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. But the problem is, with this daytime fishing, you, the, the fish that you caught at night, you had to go out at night because during the day they didn't feed, they just hid. Uh, and it was very difficult to catch them during the day even if they were around because they could see the nets, so they just avoided them. Intelligent fish. But you needed to, not only did you need to be out at night, but you needed to be along the shore because the fish uh, gather where fresh water is coming into the lake from streams and rivers. And so with this kind of fishing that he's talking about, you're going to put it, you're not, you don't go far out from the edge. Now, when he says put out into the deep, he doesn't mean go miles away because Lake Galilee can be quite dangerous to swing in because you get a tiny, tiny little shelf of shallowness and then it goes boom, straight deep. It's not like Scarborough Beach, you know, where you can wade forever wondering if it's going to go above your knees. Well, at least we do when we're baptizing people. <laughs> and all the people on the shore are going, oh, we should bought binoculars. It's not like that in Lake Galilee. If we did it with Lake Galilee, suddenly all three of us would be baptised very quickly <laughs> and not come back. <laughs> so when Jesus says put out into the deep, he's showing to Pete, from Peter's point of view his complete ignorance. Not only do you not fish during the day, you don't go out into the deep with these kind of nets. They're designed for around the edge where the rivers and the fresh water is. I think what's going through Peter's head right now. I don't know what goes through your head sometimes when, when Jesus asks you to do something. Sometimes it just seems so silly. Yeah. It's so... But that's not what happens. That's not how you do it. There are things that, that, that Jesus tells us to do like that. The thing with the call of God is it's rarely convenient. It's a bit like the Amazon delivery parcel that comes just as you go to the bathroom, you know. It's really convenient. How many times were you standing by the front door when they rang? Oh, thank you very much. No, you were probably on the third floor or the fifth floor because this is Scarborough and there's so many floors in so many houses. You're always up, up the very top and you're trying to get down the stairs before you get that little slip of paper that says you weren't in. thinking, I'm in. <laughs> but don't react in anger. I reacted in anger once with the, with the bin delivery people. No, not bin delivery, bin takeaway people, really. <laughs> and I, I heard the van, because it has that beep, doesn't it? Beep, 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 because it comes backwards down our streets, because it's, it's difficult. 
And I'm thinking, great, they're going to take the, the, the recycling. Awesome. And then I hear it drive off. And I look out and think, they've not taken it again. So I'm miffed. So I open the front door, grab the bag, and I catch up this lorry, dog-legged around the corner of our street, and I just throw it into the back of the lorry. And it stops. And these big guys get out. <laughs> and they were big guys. And he said, what the bleep, 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 bleep do you think you're doing? I said, I'm letting you have my recycling. And he said, we're the garden waste, Laurie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Put out into deep well, let's get on from that. <laughs> Put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. This is ridiculous. It's a night fishing boat and it doesn't go out in the deep. Simon answered, Master. Now, this is a word that's only used in the Greek uh, or in Luke's Gospel. And he uses a word that uh, epistates, because you know I'd like to get a bit of Greek in there. That it's an odd word because it can, mean, it can be used respectfully, but it often wasn't. It kind of means how we might use boss or chief. All right, chief. You know that kind of worker-boss relationship when they say, all right, chief. And you know they mean anything but respect. <laughs> and so he kind of says, all right, chief. If you look at the root of the word, it, means to, it literally means to stand on. So as in authority over, you see. So a stand on. It can even mean assault. So Peter is, is kind of expressing a little bit of heart here. As he get off my back. You've had one favor. Master, I've got to be nice to the guy, he healed the mother-in-law, though who knows whether that was a good or bad thing. But <laughs> Although she made dinner, didn't she, so it's probably okay. Master, we've worked hard all night, because this is a night boat, and haven't caught anything. We're fed up, we're tired, we want to go to bed. But because you say so, I will let down the net. I mean, I would so love to hear the original tone of Peter's voice, wouldn't you? If you look at some more pious commentaries, they just talk about how Jesus is respecting him as his master and Lord. I don't get that. I really don't get that, especially with the context of this experienced fisherman being told what to do by a rabbi carpenter. <laughs> he's, not, he's not like... Oh, what a good idea. Of course, Lord. He doesn't call him that. Of course, out we go, into the deep. He may not have flounced like that, especially in a boat. When they've done so, this is, oh, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they've done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. This is so encouraging to me because of the number of times my obedience to God has been done with a, that kind of a tone. 
Got him. It's not a good thing. I don't recommend practicing it. But the great encouragement is the times when you're obedient through gritted teeth, it can still be very fruitful. I know God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the heart, but sometimes even grace just says, well, they did it. <laughs> he does, it does. He knows anyway what we're going through and what we're feeling like, because the other option is to try and hide it a little bit, like Peter, oh, master, yes. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And I was reading this Middle Eastern historian's discussion of this. And it was really interesting because he was saying this meant they were rich. This catch was hitting the jackpot. In his view, I don't know whether it's correct or not, that the word used, signaling, it sort of means to beckon like this. It's a quiet form of signaling. And he's saying... Peter's signaling to his partners because he doesn't want the others to see. <laughs> you see, I've preached a wonderful talk on all the boats gathering. But actually, it is only two. And Peter isn't being super spiritual. He's just going, quick, get the partners over here. We've hit rock, we've hit gold. Interesting thought, eh? It's interesting how obedience has led to fruitfulness. You know, sometimes people say, I, I haven't seen the blessing of God. Well, have you been obedient? You know, if you want to see financial blessing, you have to sow financially. If you want to see apples, get apples. I mean, the principle doesn't hold rock and fast because you, you, in sowing for money, if you're just trying to get money out of God, that's going to get you nowhere. But there is a principle of how you're sowing and sowing in faith. As you give, you can receive. If you want friends, be a friend. If you want love, love others. And it will come back to you, multiply. So, they've got all these fish filling both boats. They've hit jackpot. I don't know what was going on. Maybe he's thinking, you know, as a fisherman, he's probably thinking, maybe we've found a, a new freshwater inlet. We don't want the other guys to know about it. This is going to turn around Galilee fishing. This is going to put our name on the map. We've made it. They've succeeded as fishermen at this point. That is it. Which makes the next bit even more challenging, really, doesn't it? But when he's seeing all this filling the boat, I mean, I expect the first few, it was, oh, that's good. And then as they're just pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, the experience that Peter has had with this man, Jesus, begins to click. When Simon Peter, interesting Luke here calls him Simon Peter. Just remember, Luke's writing this, we think about ten years afterwards. When Simon Peter, because think who Luke's talking to when he first did this. He was went going around with Paul, if you remember. And they were bringing the gospel to people. And he was familiar with the early church. So when he says, Simon, Peter, he's reminding them, yes, that one. That leader of yours. You know, Clive Urquhart we're talking about now. Simon Peter. 
Because it's very important what happens next. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. If you read Isaiah, there's a point where he sees the holiness and the glory of God and just says, Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't be in your presence. Because that is a response or is the response to the holiness and the glory of God. And suddenly, in the midst of all this slippery fish in a boat, Peter realises, this isn't just a carpenter's son. This isn't just a rabbi. But his first reaction is fear. Get away from me. Because he knows that the holiness of God will destroy him. It's like he's a fire, and we're like paper. And if we put paper into a flame, it's just going to burn. And if we just met God without Jesus, we'd just burn. It'd just be the press, and he's, fr- he's frightened, he's fearful. It's the fear of God comes on him. Oh my God, as we were doing recently. Get away from me. For he and all his companions were astonished. The Greek word means amazed and fearful. It, it means both things at once. not sure astonished really grabs it. I'm not sure we've got the word really. It means they're completely amazed, because they're all having a bit of a revelation here. But then that's immediately fear. God's in the boat. How do you feel when, how do you feel when God's in the house? At the catch of fish they'd taken, so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Remember, it's a business. This is Peter's normal life. The thing with Peter is we are used to his normal life past Jesus. How many years had he lived to this point, and this is what he knew, this is what he'd grown up in. And Whenever the call of God comes, even when you are a Christian and God calls you to something new, it's, it's, it, it, there's going to be a change in who you are as well. When you become a Christian, you, you literally become a new creation in God. You don't lose you, you actually become the you that God created you to be. But so is true of each encounter subsequently. Whether it's the freedom course or the freedom in Christ course or an encounter with God in a worship time, that encounter is to change you from glory to glory. But it's really convenient. It comes with cost. There wasn't much cost, really, to row out into the lake and keep the boat still and then the bigger cost, okay, we're going to have to get the nets all wet again and all dirty again just to do what he says, but we'll do it. And of course, suddenly, such fruit. Whatever God's asking of you right now, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be lots of fish. (laughs) Then Jesus says to Simon, or said to Simon, don't be afraid. 
doesn't make sense if you read it with astonished. Why did he say, don't be afraid? Because he knows that they're getting revelation of who he is. From now on, you will fish for people. So they poured their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, this is Middle Eastern culture, and it's that whole culture of exaggeration. They didn't put the boats on the shore and left the fish there to stink. But Middle Eastern culture is, it shows what's going on in a person's mind by the way you tell the story. It's back to the Jesus saying, gouge your eye out, cut your hand off if it causes you to sin. He's exaggerating the situation to get his point across. It's a little bit hard for our Western mindset to do it because we don't do it. You still encounter it, though, in Middle Eastern culture, actually. And then it can be interesting when the Englishman meets the Middle Eastern man and he's expressing, I will do everything. And the Englishman thinks he will do everything. But he's not. He's just expressing his honor towards you. <laughs> it's different culture. And Jesus is in the middle of it, and he's, he's speaking in it. But don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And Jesus uses a really interesting word, because he doesn't use the same word that you might use to fish for fish. Because this fish word that he uses, it means catch, really. It doesn't mean fish. It means to catch alive. Whereas the word you normally use for fish means to catch and then they're dead. He says, you've been catching dead fish, and now you're going to catch, and they're going to be alive. They're going to know life. You'll catch people who will live. And friends, the goal of God is on us. This is the time we are going to catch people, and they will live. We might have to stick a bucket down a well. We may have to get a boat and row out at the wrong time of day. It will be inconvenient at times. Following Jesus is inconvenient. <laughs> it gets in the way of selfishness and sin. See, Peter, Simon Peter saw this. He fell on his knees. Luke's saying, look, even Peter, who must have been somewhat of an amazing fellow, mustn't he, in the church by this time. Imagine, what, what this, he walked with Jesus. He does miracles. You know how people can get about leaders especially in those kind of situations. And Luke's sort of knocking the pedestal under Pete's, Pete's, Peter's <laughs> uh, feet a little bit here. He's saying, look, Peter was a sinner. He is a sinner, John would also add, but he had to repent. Even Peter, Simon Peter, Simon the Rock, Simon, the, the, the person that Jesus said is the rock, fell on his knees and says, go away, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus' response to him was, come follow me. You're going to be a fisher of humanity. And those times when you just feel, I'm not good enough, I can't cope with this, this costs too much, this is not what I want, Jesus just says, come on, we're going to fish for humanity here. We're going to catch him alive. The odd thing is, if you think about it, you catch them dead and then they're alive. (laughs) 
But don't think that Jesus doesn't want you. He's not asking you out of his divine politeness. Alan, my name's Jesus. Would you come and follow me? And Alan thinks, yeah, he doesn't really need me though. What have I got? No, Jesus wants Alan. Alan's gifts, Alan's talents. And he won't do that without him. Everyone's call is unique. If the body cuts their nose off, they won't smell. <laughs> um, it, it looks disfigured. Because it's supposed to have a nose. And when you're called to be part of Jesus' body, the worldwide church, the church is more beautiful because of it. And the task God has for you will be done by no one else. Hallelujah. That's right. Absolutely. You've got the bucket. Isn't that wonderful? You see, when, we, when we're in heaven, and we really are gathered with all these people, St. Hilda, Martin Luther, I, it's funny how your brain just goes blank, and I can't think of any famous Christians at this point, but John Newton. Who was the guy that got rid of slavery? Wilberforce. <laughs> In that great crowd will be lots of people like us who probably nobody really ever heard of. But every single one of them will be there and will have had a unique call from God. I was at a funeral this week. Your mum's. Josh's grandma, and the, the grandchildren all spoke of her influence on their lives, and in fact her influence on the family. And you can see that from this woman, there's just so many people that love Jesus. Not only is she in heaven right now, she's in heaven with Jesus saying to her, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that awesome? But most people haven't heard of her. But they've heard of her in heaven. That's right. And heaven's heard of you. Come on, come on, come on. Your name is known up there. If you were to ask them, do you know Stacy Begin? Yeah, we know her. <laughs> She's following the call of God. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Listen, church, don't be afraid. Things come and go, people come and go, sadly. That's the nature of church, really. Some people leave well, some people just disappear and send a text message. And your heart breaks. As you think, what did you miss if you could leave with a text message? And your heart bleeds for them because you want them to know that love of connection one to another. You know, when maybe your time will come when God calls you elsewhere. 
please don't send a text. Come and talk with us. Our lovely friend Chris Birch felt that God was telling her to get involved with her local Anglican church. She didn't just sneak off. She talked to her friends. That's a good place to start. And at one point she talked to me, do you think this is of God? And we prayed and we listened and we thought it was. So you know that we brought her to the front here, if you were here then, and we prayed for her and we sent her because she then became apostolic because she was sent. I'm not saying she's an apostle, but we did what an apostolic church does. We sent her with the mission and the call that she had for this next period of her life. And she was here at this recently, and she says, oh, it's like coming home. Because there's nothing wrong there. She's done what God said, and she did it in the way God told her to. And, and sometimes the reason people don't, and this is a, I think this is the saddest one, the reason people don't share that they're going to go somewhere else is because they know it's wrong. And they don't want to hear that, because... They've decided what they're doing. Well, Peter had decided what he was doing. He was going to build a fishing empire, and this was breakthrough day. <laughs> this, was, this was business is made day. Have you ever wondered how his wife and family, because his wife appears with him later on, ministering with him, doesn't she? How they coped when they were off on the road with Jesus? This would have been the day they were financially set up. Interesting thought. Provision for the vision, my wife is saying down here. It's true, though. But the three years with Jesus and then everything else that followed, it wasn't convenient. It changed his life. Following Jesus will change your life. But it will be life. It will make you rich in every way. But it will cost you. Many of you today probably put something in the offering. I tend to do something monthly, and I, you'll usually see me whip my phone out because I do it that, that way. But it's still so key, I think, to pass that bucket round because it reminds us that this is part of the cost. I mean, the, the guidelines say 10% of your income. That's a substantial cost. But I, I honestly and completely believe that you will never outgive God. And also, if that's like, how are we going to do that? Sometimes you just build yourself up to it. You start where you're at. But it's, it's part of our worship. Sometimes it can feel intrusive. You ever felt, oh, it's a bit intrusive. I was really away with God right then, and now there's buckets in front of me, and there's forms I can fill in and everything else. But actually, it's as much part of our worship as being lost in God because it's saying, what I have belongs to you. You know, you can bring your fish and your grain and your, and your oil, but it's more convenient in our modern culture to pay by cash. <laughs> and when it, I, I, for me, when I hold that bucket, it reminds me I'm part of it. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It costs me, but this is what it costs. I mean, look at what you get back. When, when God called Kate and I to go to Roffey Bible College in Horsham, 
It was expensive materially. I was a deputy head teacher. Oh, I've been a head teacher. And Kate was a PA. Financially, we, we had a decent income. And that was in 1998. When I became a deputy head in 1993, I was quite well paid. And in, in fact, it amused me three years ago when the trustees gave an annual pay increase and I realised I was back at what I was paid at in 1993. <laughs> That's a cost over the years. I, I'm not saying I'm badly paid. I'm rich. I have a beautiful wife. I'm rich. I have a wonderful couple of sons. One son lives with me in the same town. I have an absolutely amazing daughter-in-law called Gemma, who's beautiful and like, if I could have personally handpicked a wife for my son, that would have been the one. And I have three grandchildren. How rich am I that three generations of my family are in this church? That's awesome. That's wealth. That your family know Jesus. And if yours don't yet, just cling on to that promise. Just, just pray for them. Because God loves to save families. It went backwards in my... For me, when I got saved, it went backwards through my mum and dad and to my dad's parents as well. So you think that makes my grandchildren now the fifth, fifth generation of Christians. Whereas when I became a Christian, as far as I knew at that point, there were none. If he can do it with my family, he can do it with yours. My parents became Christians in their 50s. They weren't young, flighty things. And it cost them. It changed the way they lived their lives. It does cost. But, and although it can be silly to think of it perhaps in this way, the benefit, even in this life, how many people do we know in this room that have been healed at some time? It's easy to remember the ones that weren't. But let's remember the ones that were. Kate nearly died this year with the kidney failure. I'm not saying it's easy. Boy, is it worth it. Shall we stand? I just want to finish in prayer. Very simple, really. I don't know what works best for you, but imagine yourself with a bucket or perhaps a boat. It's your bucket or it's your boat, and you like it. Now, Jesus only used the bucket and the boat, but when you actually follow him, he says, give it to me. You don't actually know whether you're going to get it back or not when you give things to God. You know something will come back, and sometimes it's the very bucket you gave him, usually full of something. Peter gave an empty net and got it back full of fish that provided for his family while he was on ministry with Jesus. You see, you don't know, but what, whatever works best in your mind right now, 
just imagine a boat or a bucket. If it's a bucket, maybe you're holding it in front of you. And imagine Jesus there, with, like he is with Peter. Peter feels, oh God, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus shows that repentance brings everyone into the presence of God. No one is turned away. Everyone is accepted. Every man, every woman. For the, God, the, the Word of God says that everyone has sinned. For all have sinned. There's no exception. Tim Farron had enormous problems with the press hounding him. Is homosexuality is a sin? Well, the answer is all have sinned. It's not actually even relevant at that moment of coming before God. What's going on in your life? It's just saying, I want to follow you and I want to put things right. And it doesn't matter whether you're cisgender, that means uh, living in the gender that you were born with, whether you were cisgender or transgender or homosexual or heterosexual or a lesbian or whatever your, sexual, whatever your gender and the way you live your life. At this point before God, he just says, for all of sin. And we, we do well to remember that when we pick on certain things as, a, as something that's wrong. We've all got it wrong. Yeah. Now, some people think that's really bad. You're telling people you've got it wrong. We're only telling them so they can live in love and peace and joy. It's not saying you're a bad person and that God doesn't want anything to do with you. It's saying you are wrong with God, you are not righteous with God and he wants you to be right with him because he's called you into relationship with him regardless of what you've been through up to this point. But all have sinned, all have done their own thing, all have gone their own way, all have said no to God. And at this moment, Peter, the outstanding man of the church, when Luke was speaking about it, realised get away from me. But Jesus doesn't get away from you. He sits next to you by the well with your bucket or in your boat. So as you stand there, I just ask you to give him your bucket. Whether you've done it many times before, surrendered, or whether today is the first time of surrendering to Jesus. Why don't you give him that bucket? It's more than a bucket, really, of course. It's, it's your life. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You'll catch them alive. You'll bring them from death to life. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. Left everything. And followed him. Just respond to him now. In your own way, right where you are. From that scripture. Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. Is that your call today?
Are you accepting that call? It's on the church. Peter was the rock. What's spoken over him is spoken over us all. So from now on you will fish for people. You'll bring them in alive. From old creation to new creation. And you might be in the same place as Peter, which wasn't a good place with Jesus. Or you might be in a fabulous place, but the response is the same. The response here is the repentance, really. They poured up their boats on the shore, left everything and followed him. It will cost you. Sometimes you just have to, you know, it's silly things. Boats, buckets, money, time, taking time off work because you're going to do something with other Christians or in the church, like August, maybe you've got to take precious days holiday to be there. Maybe there's times when you just want to get on with your fishing business and Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me and it doesn't, that doesn't fit for you to be 24-7 business. It's a matter of hearing what God's call is on you right now. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to call us. And so we answer that call that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that everyone here, every single person, regardless of who we are, is called. Is called. Is chosen. Handpicked for God. And I find that I thank you that everyone here is unique. They're not a cog in a machine. They're a unique person in a body. And if they're not here, and if they're not part of your body worldwide, that body is deformed. It's missing what was created to be part of it. So, Father, I thank you for the privilege of the call to be part of the worldwide church, the body of Christ. And for those of us called to be part of the body of Christ here in Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. We thank you, Lord. And we pray for all those fish that this boat would be sinking and that we'd be signaling to our partners, come and help. There's too many. That's what we want, Lord. Come and help. There's too many. That'll be a great cry. We might not think it at the time. (laughs) But it'd be a great cry. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.